What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. It's funny sometimes how a good story will make me revisit and look at my own life and try to examine my own insecurities as a man and like where they came from. I think a lot of stories do that and that those are the most effective stories that really make you uh, introspective as to your own place within the universe. Yeah, and I think sometimes when examining and studying something closer, you come to find out truths and you'd come to get inspired in ways you weren't anticipating. And I think tonight's episode will, for me, uncover and talk about something that's a little painful for me, but ultimately a story, my the story of my life, one that I think is going to be fun and worthy of sharing. And it may not be direct what I'm talking about, and it may not be clear, but it'll all come together, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about this episode. Um, We are going to revisit one of my favorite uh, storytelling franchises of all time. Let me guess. It's Mad Max. It's Mad Max. Oh, my God. No. Yeah, right? It's Mad Max. It's your favorite storytelling franchise. It's actually, believe it or not, not that. Um, Avatar. Yep, Avatar. (laughs) Pippi Longstocking. Uh, all right. This is getting uh, comical. It's Harry Potter. Woohoo! Yeah, it's the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Legardium so. Levioso, bitches. <laughs> it's Levioso, not Levioso. No wonder she doesn't have any friends. Uh, anyway, uh, most of tonight we'll be trying out our disastrous British accents on each other. Um, but if you're not interested in that, we'll try and get into some good story stuff, too. And some interesting analysis. Yeah. Um, we wanted to take a look at an aspect of the Harry Potter wizarding world uh, that we haven't really addressed yet in the podcast and that we think directly ties in with a lot of the stuff we were discussing last week with regard to Big Little Lies. Um, last week, we introduced a concept that was really popular in not only medical history, but storytelling and mythology and theater and film for a really long time that's really carried over into stories that we tell today because of how deeply rooted it is within us. And that's the idea of the four humors, which evolved into the four temperament ensemble. Um, If you didn't hear last week's episode, this is the idea from Hippocratic Medicine that your body is composed of four elements, those being blood Uh, phlegm, black black bile, bile, and yellow bile. And if all of them are in balance within you, you're a perfectly balanced, healthy human being. 
if any one of them is out of balance, then you might have diseases, you might have illnesses, or it just might show up as a personality trait. And this, you know, transcends into the way that we put uh, characters with different temperaments together to see them play off of each other and to represent archetypes within stories. Um, and this set off a light bulb in our heads of what one of the greatest, uh, you know, four temperament ensembles, one of the most popular and easy to apply to your own life uh, categorizations of people is, which is the four houses of Hogwarts, those being Slytherin, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, and Hufflepuff. And we thought we'd have a little fun tonight and dissect some of those houses, what they mean about the characters within the story, what they mean about us, and what the greater ethical implications of codifying children, of you know, segmenting people into different groups and pitting them against each other in competition really means within that story and within the world. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> I'm very, very excited to talk about this. You know, and I think part of the genesis of this episode, I was talking to my uh, cousin and uh, my second cousin, and he is, I want to say like 13, and he was talking to me about how much he loved Harry Potter. And my first reaction was, oh, what's your house? He goes, you know, I don't know. I'm like, you've never been sorted? He's just like, <laughs> no, I've never been sorted. I'm like, bro, we need to know your house. So I get on my phone, I get him to Pottermore, and I'm like, I hand it to him. I'm like, create an account. Go ahead. We'll just say that you're 17 because I'm tapping the phone for you. And had him get sorted into his his Harry Potter house. And it made me think how this, in directly response to last week's episode, how the four temperament ensemble, the idea of putting uh, quadrants uh, as a way to categorize things. Right. To have two poles, one north, one south, one east, one west, and have, you know, that division and how that's used not only in storytelling, uh, it's used in management theory, it, it's used in psychology. Anytime you're trying to show degrees of things and graphs, you're going to have some semblance. Yeah, yeah, you think about it in politics too. Absolutely. I'm liberal, conservative. I'm a democratic, liberal, you know, and everyone puts somewhere on yeah. these quadrants, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I'm a Democrat because I believe in the woman's rights to choose, but I'm conservative because I want to create a robust economy. Right. You know, so we see that playing out in a lot of places. And I think- Harry Potter in the way that it sorts houses is a really fun reflection. So let's 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 just dive right in. Let's dive right let's in. Let's peel under the hood and really examine these houses and what that means. Yeah, a uh, little spoiler warning for those who are not uh, deep Potter fans. We will probably throw in some specific details from the books and movies about plot. Uh, mostly this is going to be a more global awareness sort of moment about the Hogwarts houses themselves, but watch out for those if you're not caught up on the Harry Potter series for some reason. Um, and if you're not caught up, let me suggest, not to interrupt, <clears throat> excuse me, tickle in my throat, uh, all of the Harry Potter movies are currently on HBO oh, right now. all on HBO. So if you have HBO Now, HBO Go, you have HBO you can watch every movie. So if it's something that's been on your to-do list or you did it a while ago and you want to revisit, they're all available. They're all accessible. And as always, uh, you can always get the books wherever you get your books from. Awesome. So uh, yeah, the Hogwarts houses, let's get in. 
We begin with the sorting ceremony, which sets the scene. Uh, this happens in the first moments of, uh, of Harry's entrance to Hogwarts in uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, and we meet the sorting hat, who is an enchanted object who decides uh, where each student goes and what house they're going to live in and who are going to be their closest friends and classmates over the next seven years of their lives, which are the most formative years, 11 to 17. Uh, we learn about the four houses, uh, one of those being Gryffindor. Uh, that one is founded by Godric Gryffindor, who uh, famously prized the bravest, most glory-seeking students among them. Uh, then we have uh, Ravenclaw, which is the house founded by Rowena Ravenclaw, who favored those who valued intelligence, wit, and wisdom above all else. Uh, and we also have Hufflepuff, which is going to be the house that's a little more about loyalty, uh, hard work, work ethic, and friendship. And then, of course, Slytherin, which is founded by Salazar Slytherin, which is more about ambition. It is uh, people who are cunning and uh, seek power and are motivated by, uh, by furthering their own station. Great. I, I, can we just both say what house we're in real quick at the, the intro of this as just a fun way. I would love to do that. All right. So what house are you, Laurel? I'm a Ravenclaw. I'm a proud Ravenclaw. Yeah. That's a shame that you're a Ravenclaw because I'm a Gryffindor and I'm in the best house. Well, and, and you can say that and that's great. And we all understand that as a Gryffindor, you need to know that you're the best house. Uh, us Ravenclaws don't need that kind of glory. We're more motivated by, uh, you know, something within. We can make ourselves happy with the pursuit of knowledge. And we're also a very accepting house. We, you know, we spawned people like Luna Lovegood and Yurik the Oddball and Garrick Ollivander. And so we have a real breadth of, uh, of experience and we can sometimes be a little weird and creative, and and that's okay. We don't need to to chase glory. You know, and as a Gryffindor, I totally respect your your house, and I think that everything that you said about that house it makes sense. And I truly see you as a full and complete person. However, we Gryffindors we don't need to be the best. It just so happens that we are. It doesn't come from. A, a sort of empty narcissism, like we're striving always to be better than others. It's that our courage and our fortitude in the worst circumstances makes us the best leaders. It makes us the most virtuous in the most corrupt times. It helps us stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves, like sometimes the Ravenclaws can't. And where we stand in the hierarchy is an equitable place to where you stand, except we're the ones with Harry Potter. <laughs> and that makes us so much better yeah, yeah. than and all the other yeah, houses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got some pretty good names uh, to your uh, to your credit. Absolutely. I definitely no, respect I, that. I kid. I love the Ravenclaws. I'm marrying a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw <laughs> is an amazing house. Yeah, we're a pretty amazing house. Absolutely. I, I always kid because, you know, I'm a Gryffindor. I'm like, yeah, well, I have Harry Potter. So what's your house have again? <laughs> you know, I always kid about that. But yeah, and no, it's a good argument. Um, 
Anyway, so that's the kind of rundown of what the houses are and where we fit in that. And it's impossible to read the Harry Potter books and not place yourself, right? And not think about which common room you would like to be in, which uh, sorts of people you would like to surround yourself with, which of those qualities you prize more than others. Uh, And it's it's a really interesting idea to uh, create that kind of house loyalty right off the bat and to build in a section of friends and to build in this sort of competition uh, within the, the houses of Hogwarts that not only compete at Quidditch, at the sports, but compete... Uh, just to be the most, you know, academically recognized or be the most uh, behaviorally recognized and win that house cup in the end. So it's a really interesting framework that J.K. Rowling builds in uh, to create this world for uh, the students of Hogwarts. Yeah, and it is to the credit that it is a piece of mythology that will stand the test of time when crafting and creating a fantasy narrative. And if I, as an adult man, am going to walk into this narrative. I'm constantly asking, like, what are my doorways in? What are the things that are going to allow me to believe that children can be wizards and taught to how to be wizards? Yeah. And one of the hooks of this universe that says, ah, this kind of echoes in our own is that there are hierarchies. There is a structure. There's an educational caste system. And even though we don't see, like, the Gryffindors are better than than the Slytherins who are better than the Hufflepuffs. We get a sense that it's based upon temperament and temperament matters in the magical world. So then I start thinking this magical world has stakes. If you're a Ravenclaw, you're this kind of wizard. If you're a Slytherin, you're this kind of wizard. So it allows me to escape into this mythology while simultaneously give me a piece of that mythology I can take home. Absolutely, yeah, you can completely find yourself within that story and and take a piece of it with you. I'd love to talk a little bit about the sorting hat itself, uh, who is the enchanted hat that once belonged to Godric Gryffindor. Uh, it was created a thousand years ago in the time of the novel because that's when the founders lived, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, Salazar Slytherin, and Godric Gryffindor. Uh, and they each uh, imbued the hat with a piece of their personality. Uh, so that it could make decisions on their behalf into the far-reaching future. So this is a pretty archaic magical item that is continuing to uh, seek and comb for the same qualities that are prized by people from a thousand years ago. So it's pretty amazing that this has lasted so long and continued to uh, cement this legacy. Um, When the Sorting Hat introduces the sorting ceremony, he always sings a song um, I say he, even though it's kind of an it, but I don't know why. It, I just, it has masculine characteristics. I just gave it, yeah. Yeah. I, I, just I would gave say, it a gender. I would say that it's more of a he than a she but or a hat. It also sings a song to, uh, to kind of introduce the new students and remind the older students of who the founders were and what they prized the most. And it boils down the houses to their simplest uh, form, which is Gryffindor is brave. Ravenclaw is wise, uh, Slytherin is ambitious, and Hufflepuff is kind. And that simplifies things in a way that, that makes it easier for us to step in, but is also a little reductive, right? Uh, because we know for a fact that the houses are infinitely more complex than that, and that wizards, can, wizards and human beings aren't just one quality over others, that we're all very contradictory and complex people. And it's a weird thing to do to immediately segment 11-year-olds based on one quality that they prize above others. 
Um, so I'm interested in in what these houses represent and what these houses do and, and what the benefit is to segment these children right off the bat. Well, yeah, because, you know, I'm definitely a Gryffindor Hufflepuff, if I'm being real. I'm probably a Ravenclaw Hufflepuff. You know, like I have an overlap with the Hufflepuff-ness and the Hufflepuff characteristics. Yeah. So if we were doing a personality test, you really aren't going to end with four scores, right? Where you're one or the other. There's usually a blend. And one of the things that the sorting hat agonizes over in the mythology is when it has a individual, a child that it's not clearly supposed to be in one. Absolutely. And it struggles. We see this in the movie with Harry Potter, who Harry Potter, uh, the sorting hat initially wants to put in the Slytherin, but Harry Potter doesn't want to go there because he knows that that's where the dark wizards are. And he has this natural aversion to wanting to go down the dark wizard path. And like, it's almost instinctual in his character. He doesn't really understand that, but he's just like, Dark wizard's bad. Don't put me where the dark wizards may come from because I don't want to be bad and bargains with the sorting hat to get put into a different house. Yeah. And Harry's an excellent example, just being our central character whose head we examine the most, whose head we ride around in as readers, because he actually exhibits the qualities of every single one of those houses, right? He's humble like a Hufflepuff. He is pretty academically gifted. He's no Hermione, but he is, you know, he's smart and he picks things up really fast. Uh, he's obviously brave and courageous, and he's also ambitious and talented. So he's definitely someone who could fit in any house. But uh, the sorting hat, of course, sees into the mind and creates this complex al algorithm to figure out where he's going to fit the best and factors in the idea of choice, which is central to the Harry Potter narrative. Um, but Harry's not the only one who he really agonizes over. And uh, you, you have to imagine that because human beings are so complex and because there's so much at stake figuring out where a person is going to go and spend the next seven years of their lives, that every single one of those decisions has to have a lot that goes into it. Even when you have a legacy like a Weasley and you know exactly where they're going to go, or you have a Malfoy and you know exactly where they're going to go, there's a lot that goes into that. And there are a number of characters who uh, sometimes seem like they were maybe put in the wrong house uh, because the, the quality that stands out most about them doesn't align with the quality of that house, but there's more that goes into that decision. Um, what, uh, one prime example of that, of course, is Hermione Granger, who at first glance... Is a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. She prizes knowledge and learning over everything else, and yet she's placed in Gryffindor, and the hat takes a long time to place her there. Yeah, almost uh, five minutes, which is like the dividing line between a regular sort... And like a super long sort. Also called a hat stall. Yeah, hat stall. Thank you for yeah. helping me out with that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. And well, the, the I think the real idea, and I think the idea that we can deconstruct is that if you put someone in the most like prosperous position, if you put someone in the place that will both challenge and educate, that person will blossom. And the idea is, why is Hermione a Gryffindor? Because she comes to the Sorting Hat as almost a complete Ravenclaw. Right. And putting her in the place where she's already a complete Ravenclaw boxes her. Yeah. So putting her in Gryffindor encourages her as a character to develop the Gryffindor attributes, which are in her but are underdeveloped because she's always focused on her more 
Ravenclaw attributes. Specifically, academic discourse is the most important thing to her. Absolutely. Not the most important thing to a Gryffindor on face value. But the Sorting Hat is clever enough to say she has the bravery of a, of a Gryffindor, and we see that time and time again in the narrative. And what she needs and what the Gryffindor needs is a little bit of Ravenclaw. Absolutely. And yeah, with Hermione, it's like if, if she'd been placed in Ravenclaw, she wouldn't be special, right? She'd be among a, mu- a bunch of other people who are just as gifted as she is, and she wouldn't necessarily be happy, right? But we place her in Gryffindor because we know she has this potential that you can help uh, help to blossom, and she ends up saving the world alongside a couple of other Gryffindors. You know, a foil for that is Luna Lovegood, who is a total weirdo, and if she had been placed in Gryffindor or any other house, might have been shunned for her total oddballness. Uh, but in Ravenclaw, she's really prized for being original and individualistic. Uh, so it's a it's a sort of balance for where they're going to develop the best friendships, where they're going to cultivate the parts of themselves that maybe have lain dormant, uh, and where they're going to uh, excel, where they're going to be special. I totally agree. And I think that is an argument for institutionalization in its greatest and most prosperous form. Yeah. The idea that a old tradition handed down time after time has the ability to put people in the most prosperous and best position to succeed. And I think Hermione, I'd say the other one is Neville. Neville, Neville is Longbottom, the other one for sure. You know, that we see in this narrative where it says the argument is, yeah, I am the sorting hat. And based upon my thousand years experience of doing this, I'm going to get it right. Every time. Yeah. And it may not seem apparent to you, but long term, it's going to be correct. And Neville's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, based on sort of apocryphal texts about his sorting, he's very he's in a very similar situation to Harry Potter. The sorting hat was trying to decide between Hufflepuff and Gryffindor for him. And he was intimidated by Gryffindor uh, and was like, I'm not brave. I'm not courageous. I want to be a Hufflepuff so I don't have to, you know, live up to that. Um, uh, that expectation and the hat went against his wishes uh, rather than reinforcing the choice and said, no, I think these qualities that are in you are so strong and so important that we develop them, that we're going to put you in Gryffindor. And what happens, you know, Neville blossoms into, you know, a, a being who has so much confidence in himself that he becomes a leader of the resistance on the ground at Hogwarts and takes beatings from dark wizards and chops the head off a snake and basically says F you to Voldemort's face. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, he looks he at, wouldn't have done that. He without, looks at the devil and tells him to go fuck himself. Yeah, he wouldn't have done that without, you know, the influence of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, of course, and the supportive environment of Gryffindor that allowed him to rise up onto the shoulders of, of others and, and become a hero. Yeah. I look at the sorting hat and kind of reflecting on what the Sorting Hat represents in the Harry Potter universe, part of it to me was not all fun and games. Sure. It really wasn't. And looking at the Sorting Hat as a grown man who hosts an internet radio show who tries to get down to the root of things, yeah, it started to feel a lot like a current education practice that we go through in America. It's called tracking. And it really made me think of my own experience as a young man, as a boy, I should say, in education. 
And, you know, as a boy, I was pretty, you know, illiterate, for lack of a better word. I had a, a host of learning disabilities that were uh, not necessarily diagnosed correctly because at the time I was a little boy, there wasn't a lot of consciousness around it. You know, just being a little older than the average uh, millennial, I didn't live in a generation where there was a, you know, a psychologist in kindergarten and there were discourses about how to unlock a kid's potential. Right. In kindergarten, uh, I was sorted onto a track. And that's what tracking is. It's an educational practice. And there's a variety of different ways that it gets implemented. And it's still used today where at kindergarten, a kid's educational potential is assessed. They're placed on the track to actualize that potential. And there you stay until you graduate from high school. And for me, as a really, really stupid kindergartner, I was placed on a track to be like, yeah, maybe community college would be the best he can ever do. Right. Probably needs to go to vocational school. Wow. You know, and probably shouldn't be in college prep ever. And I was placed in that track. And when you are in that track, you're constantly being reminded about how stupid you are. You are also simultaneously placed into the track with the behavior problems. You know, the kids that even from kindergarten and into first grade that had emotional issues, that had broken homes. And, you know, that system, you know, weighed on my consciousness and my confidence for a very long time. It took me a very long time to realize that I wasn't dumb. And that, you know, and like, and that had its like reaction formation where I thought I was a genius. You know, that's part of that. Yeah. Where you really, you like really genuinely feel stupid. So you act like you're smarter than everyone (laughs) as a way to compensate with how stupid you feel. Like I had to go through that whole, you know, just phase where I was unempathetic and cold to other people to just so I thought I was proving how smart I was. You know, I had to win every conversation I was in and you know, I look at the sorting hat and I think when the sorting hat gets it wrong, because you can't sort children for a thousand years, even in a magical system, without some statistical anomaly happening, some point where you put the kid into the wrong house. Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. And when that happens, you are really damaging that child. Right. Because I was never dumb. You know, I was had serious issues with reading comprehension because I'm dyslexic, you know, and in the proper environment, the dyslexia would not have slowed me down. Right. He would have flourished. Instead, it was just like, oh, well, he's dumb. Let's put him in the dumb classes with the dumb kids. And I would submit or submit, pardon me, that all of the kids that I was with in the quote unquote dumb classes had something that put them there because we were fucking in kindergarten, right? Yeah. That put them there, that was not innate to their genetic makeup, to their moral fiber. There was something that put them into that. And once you get placed in that track, there you stay. And I thought that that was very reminiscent of once you're a Gryffindor, you're a Gryffindor. End of story. Yeah. Once you're a Hufflepuff, you're a Hufflepuff. End of story. And I thought of the implementation of that in our world and how I don't think it's an intentional metaphor because ultimately JK Rowling kind of argues that this system works, which is the benefit of magic. Yeah. Um, But I just think of myself and like how painful it is 
when a bureaucrat, a cog in a machine assesses your worth and places you where they think you need to be and how on face value, how damaging that is to the human spirit. You know, and another aspect or dynamic that's happening in schools is that tracking is also a way that unscrupulous and immoral school administrators have manipulated and tried to create racial segregation. Right. You know, and it's by saying, oh, all of these kids are obviously the dumb ones and all of these kids are obviously the smart ones. Oh, look at that. That divides equally on white and black lines. Yeah. You know, and it's a fight that's still happening God, today. That's so not surprising. To, to end that. You know, and not all of it is nefarious. Some of it is systemic and some of it is generational. And it, it's a very complex problem. And when asking, how do I put a kid in a position to succeed educationally? You know, some say, well, let's assess their value and put them on the right track, right? Let's assess their value and put them in the right house. And if done correctly, if you could have a magical hat that could see into the mind and soul of a child, well, then you got a leg up. You're probably going to get most of those correct. Right. When you have a corrupt and broken American education system, a lot's going to go wrong. And I'm, and you know, I, I don't say this story to, to garner sympathy. And I don't want people to think, oh, poor Derek, because I'm fine. You know, my only point is reflecting on, on what the sorting hat represents into our own education system. We should really think critically about our own sorting hats. Yeah. And our own, and our own tribes. Right. You know, and we started this with the, um, the four humors. And I think it's important for us to, to say that the idea of the four humors, the four body fluids, which then turned into the four blood type or four uh, character archetypes. None of that was ever accurate. It's not realistic. It's not true. And because no we one- are, we are, a balance of more than that. Yes. And I think to me, the biggest lesson that I get from this as a story uh, creator and commentator is that you can use this for archetype very effectively to convey a story. But at the same time, there's no actual reflection in raw reality. I am so glad that you brought up this story and this sort of personal connection for you. And here's where I'm going to take this back to uh, the framework of the wizarding world and give J.K. Rowling, uh, you know, a good bit of credit for how things develop within this uh, uh, this construct of the Sorting Hat and the Four Houses. I think there's actually a, a, a subtle, um, sl- subtle slash not so subtle critique of the houses going on within, you know, the framework of her narrative. Uh, and I would point back to the Sorting Hat's songs. Um, when we first meet the Sorting Hat, he sings about you know how great it is to be at Hogwarts and how amazing the um, uh, the founders were and how these are the qualities that they loved. And now we're going to sort you and you're going to be friends with these people for the rest of your life and you're going to compete with everybody else for it. But as we continue to hear these songs, they evolve. And this happens right along the line of when the books and the stories and the movies evolve from being boarding school comedy, you know, uh, with a little bit of magic fun for kids into being much more complex, much darker, uh, you know, heroes journeys for kids turning into adults and adults. Um, and I'd like to point to the song that the, uh, 
the Sorting Hat sings in book five in the Order of the Phoenix, which rather than being a tale of a thousand years ago when everybody was all great friends and how awesome it was and how we're still doing that tradition, it becomes sort of a lament for the falling apart of the friendships of the four founders based on the sort of tribalism and the uh, the infighting between them that turned into this incredibly discriminatory way of segmenting the students along those lines. So it points directly to um, the market discrimination that, that um, you know, uh, lends to Slytherin because Salazar Slytherin, of course, was more interested in, uh, you know, racial purity, blood purity of wizards than anything else. So pure blood wizards like Crab and Goyle, who are big lugs, who have absolutely no ambition to stand out for themselves and don't exhibit any of the qualities of Slytherins, end up in that house because their parents are death eaters and because they're purebloods. Uh, and Malfoy, you know, Malfoy's a coward and he ends up in Slytherin as well. Um, and the Sorting Hat really looks to the rest of the people in the hall and is like, I can't believe all of this fell apart. They were such good friends. But this is what happens when you start to divide yourselves along these lines and not remember that, you know, you're actually all really the same. You're all really part of the same side. Right. Um, I would love to throw a little bit of Hufflepuff love based on that song, too. It's easy to say nobody wants to be a Hufflepuff. And, like, sometimes that's true. It's the least glamorous house of all of them. Uh, and the Sorting Hat doesn't make that sound any better with this, but I think there's actually some real beauty in what he says about Hufflepuff. Um, he says, said Slytherin, we'll teach just those whose ancestry's purest. Said Ravenclaw, we'll teach those whose intelligence is surest. Said Gryffindor, we'll teach all those with brave deeds to their name. Said Hufflepuff, I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same. And that, <laughs> I know, That's right? That's great. But it drives home the fact that that Hufflepuffs are egalitarian and they're not about tribalism and they're really about the good of, of the many and being there for each other and working hard and learning together. Yeah. And you know, you think of where we're currently at and you, you know, you turn on the TV or pick up your phone and you hear plenty of very smart commentators discussing the American current political problems and a lot of people say, well, America is really a bi-party system that has four parties. Right. You know, there's the, uh, you know, intellectual conservatives versus the populist conservatives. And then there's the corporate Democrats versus the Bernie Sanders Democrats. And, you know, I look at that and think, see, like, you know, fuck you. All that shit's insane. That's not that like no one is walking around being like, and if you are walking around being like, oh, I'm one of these four quadrants in real life, if you really are doing that, like, look yourself in the mirror because you just gave yourself over to a fucking headline on a news show. Yeah. You know, and like, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is we are infinitely complex. We are a deep well. The best intentions to try to understand, track, and sort people can become weapons of bureaucracy that are, you know, at best corrupt and ineffective and at worst racist and wrong. Yeah. And like, and that, you know, these are the problems that we all have to face. And, you know, it's interesting that the sorting hat discusses that. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and it's in a song, which is silly and everybody kind of glazes over it, but it's driving home this message of, you know, the last few books, which is we all have to stand together. Yeah. 
and I think J.K. Rowling also drives it home in the epilogue to uh, the Deathly Hallows um, when uh, Harry is sending his kids off to Hogwarts and his his youngest son, Albus, is like, I'm really worried I'm going to get put in Slytherin. Everybody's saying I might end up in Slytherin. Uh, and Harry remembers his own experience of having to say, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And he, you know, lets us know that his kid is named Albus Severus and says, you're named after after two great men. One of them was a Slytherin and he was the bravest man I ever knew. Basically driving home the fact that all of these lines are arbitrary. Right. At, at most, it is just giving you a dormitory and, you know, a group of people who you can instantly bond with. Like, this is not a... a definition of who you are because even a Slytherin can save the day you know even a Gryffindor can you know turn himself into a rat and literally be a rat and serve the dark lord we can all choose our fate regardless of where a hat decides we're going to live for the next seven years yeah you know it's an interesting argument and uh, one that I think we go back to is you know, Harry Potter is constantly the the universe at large, not the character, but in part the character. Yeah. Wrestling with free will versus prophecy, free will versus institutions, uh, free will versus bureaucracy and where that stands. And it always goes back to we can shape and change and edit and fuck up and build and break down, you know, the 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 world around us. And. I, I tend to agree and feel very sympathetic with that in, in my heart. Whether that's philosophically true, I don't know. Yeah. But I like that idea, and so I kind of gravitate towards it because it seems consistent with my perspective. Yeah, and and even if that's not the bend of the universe at large, it gives you power over your own decisions and you know allows you to place a little bit more responsibility on yourself and carve out your section of the universe uh, as best you can and do right by others. But it does beg this question. If the sorting hat laments the sorting, why do it? The sorting hat's bewitched. It's an object. It doesn't have a, it doesn't I, have I mean, not, not in the pure mechanics, you know, I mean, yeah. more, more philosophically, more yeah. metaphorically. If the, 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 the object by which this institution is perpetuated is saying, by the way, this is a bad institution. Why does it continue? Well, I think that's a huge it's a huge question and one that's never explicitly answered uh really by the characters, but it's a it's it's big because it's about the dismantling of a beloved tradition that would be really hard to let go for generations of wizards. So it's something that even though the idea is introduced uh and even though attention is called to the fact that, you know, this in some ways is kind of racist and divisive at least, uh I, I think it's it's something that has to only be introduced because the dismantling of such an institution would be, a, you know, a generations long process. Yeah, and I think tracking is facing that similar problem in today's educational environment. Right. How do you dismantle it? Where does the dismantling begin? When it's dismantled, how do you ensure that what comes after it isn't worse? Right. You know, these are legitimate problems that modern educators are facing. And if you take away the sorting hat, you take away a legacy system, imperfect though it is, and what do you do with it? And hence we get the sorting hat's lament over his own sorting. And I think these are very real problems that we face right now. Like these are the debates that we're having in immigration. We've had an immigration system that's worked like X, should it 
Why does it work that way? How do we change it? What's the motive of the person who says they want to change it? Are those motives pure? Are they altruistic? Are they selfish? You know, and the if a headmaster of Hogwarts were to come in and say, that is it, the sorting hat is gone. They still have to live with the fallout that now there's a whole bunch of students that need to know where to sleep. Yeah. You know, they need and, to know which Quidditch team to play for. Absolutely. They need to know, you know, how to get to school. They need, you know, the, the system of the sorting hat also gives a head, you know, witch or wizard yeah. that helps teach the ropes. So it, it ends up being a system that functions, though imperfect. And I always go back to when we're in that, and I, I kind of vacillate because the sorting has so much power. It legitimately can shape and change the life of a child. Yeah. It has this ability to play God and in a certain, in a, a metaphoric way, not a literal way. And, and in that respect, so do the systems that we have now. Right. And so do the systems of how we educate children now. And the question that I have is when that system is not working, we, how do we fix it? And I guess, you know, there are those that will argue, tear it down. There are those that will argue that will say, augment it. And then there are those that'll argue like you can't change it. It's perfect. Right. And or it's e- been there too long. We can't change it because it's too hard. You know, and even then I just realized that I just started clumping complex things into nice, neat little boxes. Piles. Yeah. And as I was doing it, I was tapping on my finger and counting, you know, and I realized like this impulse to just to put things into nice, neat little boxes, be like, well, everyone that thinks this is here and everyone that thinks this is here everyone that thinks this is here and how we fight that mentality, because I don't even know. I'm just rambling at this point. No, I think you're, you're totally, you're totally on, uh, that it's such a natural tendency for human beings to want to categorize and want to codify. But at the end of the day, things aren't that simple, especially when it comes to human beings and when it comes to the children that we're trying to educate. Uh, so the question is, you know, whether we're in the wizarding world of Harry Potter in the framework of Hogwarts or one of the other wizarding schools, whether we're in there or we're in our own universe and figuring out our relationship to our educational system, our relationship to our political system, our relationship to each other. uh, And I'm ticking these off of my finger right now. Yeah. uh, We, we have to think more globally and uh, yeah. It reminds me of this like brilliant academic who wrote this book in the seventies, this guy named Edward Said, he wrote this book called Orientalism. And uh, he was deconstructing academic units of knowledge described and created to understand from the perspective of the West, what the Orient was. And he argued that it's natural for the human body to convert raw units of knowledge and strangeness into the familiar. Yeah. We convert that which we don't know and we're bombarded with into that which we do know and that we kind of have to do this. Otherwise the world would be strange and bizarre and we would never make sense of it. But he also argued that the stereotype implicitly benefits the stereotyper. Yeah. In that we have to safeguard under the idea that I'm doing this, codifying these things in these units of knowledge. I'm doing that to benefit me. So it's easier for me to understand the world, not because that's the actual world. And 
That is, I think, the challenge because we all want to sort ourselves into our Harry Potter house. We willfully hand ourselves to the sorting hat and say, put me in my box. Yeah. And then brag about the box we're in, you know, and we all do this. Yeah. And it's a fun game. And, but we all do this also in other ways. And what a thinker like Saeed would say is that like, Hey, it benefits the sorting hat to sort us. Yeah. Right. It, you know, the sorting hat's job is to convert all of this random knowledge into nice, neat units. And it benefits us to do that and fighting that impulse to do it and to try to see the world as it actually is not as for the benefit of the perceiver we want it to be. That's a Saeed quote there is the hardest part of it all. That is just an amazing way to tie it all together. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. I, there's, there's not, there's so much more to say. Uh, but I think, uh, as far as our analysis, that is as good a way as any to end. Um, now that we're done kind of breaking it down and critiquing it. And talking about how problematic it is. Let's, let's play do a game it. with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for those of you that have listened before, we would like to play games. We haven't done it in a while, but we thought this is the perfect episode to play a game at the end. So we're going to kind of rapid fire rattle off a couple of characters that we love from literature, fiction and movies and whatnot. Um, some fictional characters that we want to sort. Um, and we didn't share with each other. And I'm going to be honest, not all these characters I pl- placed I loved, but I just put them because I thought they'd be fun to sort. Yeah, I thought these would be fun to sort. And some uh, some of them are freebies, some of them are easy, and some of them I think are going to be a little more difficult to figure out. Okay, I'm going to start. Go for it. All right, so this is my character who I think is, well, we'll see. Easy to sort. We can both say where we sort them. Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. He's on my list too. Yes. He's a Ravenclaw. No, he's a Slytherin. You're so wrong. Wow. He's totally a Slytherin. He's a Ravenclaw. He's a dark wizard if there was ever a dark wizard. Yeah, but not all dark wizards are Slytherins and not all Slytherins are dark wizards. Uh, I, uh, it's more about ambition and wanting to be, you know, wanting Rick, to be the Rick, top of Rick who of wants to be a god. Rick wants to be a god. Views himself as a god. But I would argue that he values his knowledge and his expertise and his genius more than anything else. He he values them because they give him power over everyone. I, yeah, no, I think he definitely straddles that line. So I think we both we both have a point here, right? Wow. Okay. So but I'm surprised I thought that, that was the both... easy Slytherin. Wow. Yeah, and you thought that was the easy Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just wanted be... to claim him for my own house. So here's the thing: just because he's smart. He is a narcissistic sociopath who's also smart. I think those can, I think Ravenclaws can be narcissistic sociopaths. And he's also not weird in the Ravenclawy way. Yeah, well. Right? Like he's not an oddball. He's just a genius who travels dimensions and does drugs. You know, he's individualistic. He doesn't care about anybody else. And so he's not trying to impress anybody. He just is trying to do his thing. See, oh man, this was such a can of worms. We should not have started with Rick and Rick and Morty. I disagree with the fact that he doesn't care about anyone else. He doesn't have empathy for other life. However, he cares tremendously about Morty. He cares tremendously about Beth. He he, he learns to care about Summer. And because of that, he has to kind of care. So like, I think he does care about others, but all of that caring is self-serving. None of that is altruistic. None of that is empathy. He doesn't have empathy for others, but he certainly cares for others. 
All right. I think you're probably right about this, but I think he's got some Ravenclaw in him, right? I totally agree. Let's okay. move on. All right. You pick one now. Okay. That um, was like probably the most debatable one to pick. Well, uh, if, since we're on our roll, Morty. Hufflepuff. Oh, Hufflepuff. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Hufflepuff. Move on. Um, all right. Charles Foster Kane from Citizens Kane. Oh, Jesus. That's a hard one. Oh, my God. I lean towards Slytherin because yeah. of his ambition. Yeah. And I, that is like one of the defining characteristics of that character. However, he's got some Gryffindor-like bravery. And he's also got some like, you know, Ravenclaw individualism. Yeah, he's definitely he's is tough. A, he's a good mix. I would lean Slytherin as well. Yeah, I would say Slytherin is probably the best argument. Yeah. But I could... Uh, listen to any other argument and be like, yeah, okay. Guy from Citizens Kane, yeah, he could be any of the houses, really. Uh, uh, probably not Hufflepuff. No, that's the he's only not house a he couldn't be. I think the other three, you could argue Slytherin's probably the best argument. He's House Rosebud. Um, okay, I've got another one. Uh, Hamlet. Hamlet. See, that's tough. I don't think it's tough. I think Hamlet's in my house. I think Hamlet is a Ravenclaw. You think Hamlet's a Ravenclaw? Yes. Tell me why. So Hamlet knows more about philosophy than anybody. Uh, so Check. Hamlet prizes wisdom, and he is also a little crazy. And Check. he also enjoys pretending to be crazy. Uh, but Check. He, he's also, he's definitely not a Gryffindor, because his biggest flaw is that he cannot take decisive action when he needs to take decisive action. Right. And then he takes decisive action when he shouldn't take decisive action. Okay, so. <laughs> you're, you're selling me really hard. Yeah, yeah he's definitely yeah. in my house. Okay, yep, he's totally a Ravenclaw. All right, so I'm going to go with Uncle Owen from Star Wars. Uncle Owen? Uncle Owen. I have not thought enough about Uncle Owen to do this. You haven't thought about Uncle Owen? No. Okay, he's a Hufflepuff. He's a Hufflepuff? He's yeah. totally a Hufflepuff. Yeah. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. He's a Hufflepuff because he loves his family. He has no pretension you know, he wants to do right. He doesn't understand people that want to leave. He's like, why would you want to leave? Everything you could have or want and have is right on this moisture farm. Right. You know, I, I think he's a Hufflepuff. Cool. I Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, this one should be pretty simple. Little finger. Oh, Slytherin. Yeah, textbook Slytherin. Yeah, totally. Um, can I do another easy one? Yeah, sure. The doctor. Oh, Gryffindor. Textbook Gryffindor. Oh, yeah. And I think he's interesting, too, because even though he's been played by 13 different actors uh, and they all have a different take on the role, he has to have Gryffindor qualities in order to, you know, continue saving the universe and be people-oriented and be out there traveling and uh, solving uh, the world's problems. Yeah, absolutely. I think some doctors will play, or some actors, pardon me, will play him a little more Ravenclaw-y. Some will play him a little more Gryffindor-y. Some will play him... No, yeah, that's it. They'll just vacillate between those two poles. But I think in his poles. heart, he's a lion. Yeah, absolutely, totally. All right, so Mad Max. I um, have only seen Fury Road, and he doesn't say any words in that movie. So <laughs> Mad Max actually isn't even in that movie. He's not. No, <laughs> he's not Tom Hardy. No, Tom Hardy isn't Mad Max. Mel Gibson is Mad Max. Well, yeah, I know Mel Gibson is Mad Max, but I thought it was like a sequel with a different actor. I was going to say he's like an unconventional Gryffindor because he's a yeah. brave action hero. Yeah, I've never seen Mad okay. Max. Okay, well then that was a bad one since you've never seen it. <laughs> All right, here's one that I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman. Oh, Gryffindor. I think that's the natural assumption, and I think you're probably right, but I also would argue that she has a lot of Hufflepuff in her. 
Because Wrong. even though she is you know, a superhero and she's out there and she's saving the world, she is driven by she's driven by deep love for humanity and egalitarianism, and she is driven by friendship. And she also, if we're in- incorporating her character in Justice League, she is also someone who shies away from conflict sometimes. Nope, 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 nope. Right. Shaking my head, shaking my head. I, I think it works. So no, it doesn't. And I will tell you. So in the Justice League movie they made her character less reticent to lead so that she can get back to her natural position, which is to lead. She is the military leader of the justice league. Her job is to be brave in the face of danger and say, no matter what she can go out there and kick ass and win. She is the quintessential Gryffindor. Totally. But what she is motivated by is a deep love for humanity. And she comes from this ragtag team of misfits in, uh, you know, in world war one who, uh, who give her a perspective that I don't think a Gryffindor would have knelt to here. I totally disagree with that. 100%. You're almost saying Gryffindors can't be empathetic. I'm not saying that I'm saying that Gryffindors are motivated by, you know, wanting glory and wanting to rush into battle over, over other motivations, which is an Amazon's natural state is wanting to rush into battle. If you look at just the movie, wonder woman, she rushes into battle. I'm not saying she doesn't entire thing is like, Oh, Ares is out. Goodbye. I'm going to go find Ares by myself and defeat him, you know? And she learns a lot along the way because there's a fish out of water but yeah, you can't take her out of Gryffindor. Okay. I mean, she's, I'm just she's, saying, she's think about it. She's in my house. I'm just saying, think about it. I thought about it. Gryffindor. All right. I'm sure our listeners are like, wow, she made a really good point. But then the Gryffindor came in and, and talked her down. So I've got one that okay. I think is a little interesting. That go could for go it. a lot of different ways now that we're in comic book land. Wolverine. Oh. Where do we put... I thought... the Wolverine was a tough one for me. Wolverine's weird um, because his character also evolves so much. I and, and that's gonna, true in both comics. Yeah. TV. I am going to, Oh fuck. All right. I've obviously thought about it and have an argument. Do you want me to start? Nope. Uh, I'm just okay. going to say based on, so I, we have to incorporate the fact that his character evolves over, over different movies, but also like within the movies themselves, he he goes on these pretty amazing arcs. But I would say just at a point in time in the beginning of Logan before he changes, I'm going to call him a Slytherin. Oh, wow. That was not where I was going. Yeah. See, I'm going Hufflepuff. You're going Hufflepuff. Yeah. At the end of the day, Wolverine, the few things that he cares about are all humans. They're all friends. They're all people that he would do anything for. He has never been ambitious. He's never looked for power for power's sake. Once he has become Weapon X and the old him, his old memories are wiped away. He's a guy that always just kind of would have preferred to just like, instead of being in a hero, just kind of being in a bar drinking whiskey by himself. Yeah, you're probably right. And doesn't look down or up on anyone. But when push comes to shove, it's just like, all right, well, if I'm going to fight, I'm indestructible. So I'm going to win. Yeah. You know, and I always felt like what whatever iteration of Wolverine, there's always this like what motivates Wolverine to go to battle. It's always to defend his friends. Yeah, that's always. a good argument. Yeah. Always at the end of the day. That's the thing. 
other than that, like he doesn't like if he doesn't give a shit about you, he's not really going to be motivated. As soon as you start fucking with the people he cares about, suddenly he will like, you know what? He turns into just because he has darkness and rage doesn't make it Slytherin to me. I think he is the dark Hufflepuff. I think where, where I'm getting Slytherin is from is from self-interest. Um, so it's not just about darkness. It's about, you know, looking out for number one. Um, that is but I true. think you made a real, I think that's a good argument. That is, that is true. But his arc is always to let go his self-interest Absolutely. to care about yeah. others. So that's why I'm saying like specific yeah. moment in time before he really changes in Logan. Cause he's not that self-interest. I'm doing this for me because yeah. I'm Donald Trump and I just want to own everything. It's more survivalism. It's more like I've been so damaged and so wounded. I'm just going to protect myself because when I care for other people, other people get hurt. Yeah. All right. That's the end of my list. Yeah. Word. Well, people want to get at us. How do they get at us? Yeah. So we would love to hear from you guys, especially after this episode. We want to know what houses you are in and we want to know what you think about the sorting hat and the sorting practice too, uh, with regards to the conversation that we had tonight. So if you have anything to share with us, please hit us up at, uh, the midnight myth at the midnight myth on Twitter, um, or on Facebook, you can search the midnight myth podcast. Uh, we're also on Instagram at midnight myth podcast or the website, www.midnightmyth.com. Uh, if you enjoy what you've been listening to, please, 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 uh, you know, give us a review or a rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcasts and tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies. Uh, we would love, love, love to hear from and you. And tell the Hufflepuffs. Tell the Hufflepuffs. Yeah, we want um, Hufflepuffs on the pod. Yeah, anything anything you can share that will help us get the word out is awesome because we would love to expand our audience and we are so grateful that you are listening with us. And until next time, guys, be kind. Be kind. Be kind.